Welcome to Checking In, a weekly podcast from Hotel Owner, the UK's trusted source of hotel industry news and analysis. Each week we meet a new guest and learn their story, all the highs and lows, triumphs and disasters they've faced and how they got through to the other side. If you like the podcast, make sure to subscribe on whichever podcast platform you listen to. To get more industry insight, head to hotelowner.co.uk and subscribe for unlimited access. If you're interested in sponsoring episodes of the podcast, drop us a line at podcast at hotelowner.co.uk. Hello and welcome to Checking In. This week we're joined by Martin Terry, Director of Sales at Stapleford Park. Martin talks to us about the ins and outs of targeting sales and staying competitive, the importance of connecting with customers to better understand your business, and what we can expect to see in the hotel events market this coming year. Welcome Martin, thank you so much for joining us. Um, Just to begin, can you tell us a bit about the beginnings of your career, um, how you got into sales and some of your early roles. Sure, yeah. Um, I'm sure like many people, I fell into the hospitality business. Um, it wasn't a career aspiration at the start of my my working life. Um, I was a travel agent originally, who then became a representative for British Midland, which is an old airline, but out of the city airport. And the city airport was back in the days when it was prop planes and not not yet. So um, that doesn't necessarily dictate how old I am, but you can work some of that out for yourself. Um, And then I literally uh, connected with Thistle Hotels at the time uh, and joined Thistle as one of their regional directors of sales in London. Mm. Um, So I did that for a period of about four years. Uh, And then I joined all these, all these names are going to be nothing to many people, but uh, the brands evolved into different things. So I then joined uh, Forte Hotels, which um, was subsequently bought out by Granada and subsequently bought out again and sold on to become Holiday Inns, etc. So that was my kind of career um, up to that point. And then I joined Handpicked Hotels, which is a collection of uh, 22 hotels across the UK and the Channel Islands. And I did revenue and sales there for uh, 19 years uh, and then left uh, in 2022 to start consulting, which I've been doing for the last 18 months or so. Mm-hmm. So it's kind of a quick snapshot back to 1923 when I first started <laughs> work in the industry. Oh, um, and you say you, you fell into hospitality, but was yep. there something about the industry that attracted you before you started that venture? Once I became a travel agent, I was just hooked on all the different facets of, of the industry, really. So it's more travel industry to start with. Uh, and then, as I say, the, the the culture of hotels once I was in was something that gets in your veins and stays with you forever, really. So particularly from a, from a sales environment. And I think particularly as sales has changed over the years, um, you know, the targeted approach to it, but the market segmentation, the variation of it. And it's changing again, probably since COVID, because speaking to people now is becoming a, a real challenge, but actually, mm-hmm. if you can talk to customers, I still believe you can convert a business better than emailing or whatever other form of Zoom or face to face is still the best way in communicating with customers. Mm-hmm. If you can, yeah, yeah, um, and it would be really interesting to talk more about that later. Um, and so, in terms of your, some of those roles with those brands you mentioned, um, can you tell us about some of the different positions you held and how those evolved sure. and? So- Maybe what you learned from from those different sides of I, th- I think the, the learning curve I think was really embedded into me in Thistle Hotels, which was a um, the biggest operator of hotels in London at the time, and it was really my first foray into into cross selling basically. So if you went to see a customer, 
you had multiple locations, multiple different star ratings, which means different budgets, and you could ultimately hit whatever the customer was achieving to from a budget or, or a product perspective. So it became that, that way of creating um, a far wider reach in selling, if you like. And mm-hmm. I think then when I moved on to Forte, they had five different brands. So again, you can meet all of the customer's travel budget needs for different levels of management and ultimately increase revenue. Sorry, just to add one other thing, actually, yeah, as you as I moved into the country house market um, with uh, with Ham Pit, it's also that is also a very, very challenging market because you, you, you're having to be very creative in how you're targeting the meetings and incentive market, how you you target the leisure market, because you don't have those streams of demand that you would do in any of the major cities. So that is a very challenging role in itself. Mm. And that's all about uh, activity, activity persuasive skills and being creative. Interesting. Um, and what sort of ways could one be creative? I think I, th- I think it's really, for, for start with, it's coming up with the right product so you can get something new to market. In my my last role as a, as a consultant with the hotel I was working in Cornwall, and they didn't have any uh, meeting and events facilities. So we, we created those in and around what we could do from the offerings in the restaurants to the public areas and really created exclusive events effectively, which, which we could then get to market. Mm, mm. And I know you're freshly in the role at Safe <laughs> How does that differ from the previous positions you've, you've held? Are there any sort of unique challenges you've you've come I across think, in this site so far? I think you have to approach each each position in its own merit from a, as a director of sales position because at the end of the day, you've got to look at distribution. So you've got to look at the be very analytical in your approach. Look at the market, the feeder markets, but also create those those products and pricing. Uh, look at the processes. Um, sadly, I'm probably more process driven than I like to think I am. But actually, if you if you set the right process in place with with clear rules for people to make empowered decisions, then you can only drive the business business forward. Hmm. And and sort of delving into you know the the nuts and bolts of, of how one does that. How how do you approach sort of observing the market, identifying trends? Uh, do you have a sort of process in place and yeah, yeah, just literally, um, sorry, you, you asked me about Stafford, which I didn't actually completely, completely answer. It's, uh, it's to me, Stafford is one of those hotels that is the bastion of the country house environment. So as soon as I was um, asked would I like to come and work with them, I kind of jumped at the opportunity because, you know, it's a, a very historic house. It's got amazing grounds, 500 acres. Um, it's, it's, the history is incredible behind the building. Um, it's got so much to offer, but it's kind of like, I would describe it as like the grand old lady that's a, a, about to bounce back. But everybody mm-hmm. that you talk to within the industry knows the hotel. So it's kind of, I'm going to use the word honour to kind of jump in and get involved with it, but that's how I how I see that one. So that's the answer to the, the previous question. Mm. And then I think, how do I approach it? It's just a, a, a deep dive into the data at the end of the day, because any of the data of any property will tell you the historic past and it's how you take that data and and crunch it into something new effectively whether mm. that's going to be targeting from a, a proactive sales whether that's the the re-evaluation of the products of the pricing um, and and widening the distribution channels because there are multi multi distribution channels now but it's how you get to them and how you target them in a, in a fast and efficient way but to ensure that you're, you're driving the right price to the right customer at the right time mm. and um, how does that work in, in terms of, do you work with a team um, and how does that sort of communication go and how, 
How is it delegated? Um, I kind of just annoy everybody, to be perfectly <laughs> honest with you, because at the end of the day, it's it's talking to the staff because I think that's a really key part of it. Very much working with the finance team because they're the ones that hold all the that historical information, mm. looking at um, all of the, the property management systems and all of the distribution systems and, and really gleaning as much as you can to create a plan of of inverted commas attack, if you like, on how we're going to penetrate all of those individual markets, whether that's to the customer direct, whether that's through events, celebrations or the meeting and event market. Mm. Um, and you, you did mention earlier, you know, the importance of uh, communication with customers and, sure. and uh, sort of being direct with them. Can you tell us more about that and your sort of approach to that? Um I will always pick up the phone to anybody at first attempt, second attempt. I think um, very tenacious, uh, very persevering, as, um, and I think it's key. I think I'm not going to. I'm, I'm going to be very careful how I say this, but there's too much hiding behind email. And I think customers, if they're prepared to give you the time to speak to you, you will end up with a much better result. Because how can you really find their genuine needs? What's their passion? What's their What's their driver behind an event, as an example? Mm. If it's all by email, it it, it just it, sorry, of course it can work, but it's much more effective, and your conversion will always improve. The better lines of communication that you can get, and ultimately. Uh, to to get a face to face experience. Yeah, and are customers in general quite receptive to that approach? If they answer the phone, yeah. If they do, yeah. <laughs> I also want to be fair as well, though. And and again, if you look at a lot of people's email footers, so many people exclude phone numbers now. Mm. So I've noticed that as a real challenge. Because and I appreciate you know there's opportunities of LinkedIn and email, but broadcast, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. But actually. Um, to find someone's phone number is probably the biggest challenge that you actually have now because a lot of people just remove it from their footers. Yeah, yeah. Um, so that's a that's something that is just literally, I think that's a, a post-COVID example of, of things that have changed. Mm. Um, but certainly in the conference agency market, most of the numbers actually are available. So that's very much, if you're looking for the M&E as a quick return, that has to be your your, your first port of call, as, as long as you're also working with people that you're all, your existing customers to the property and also past inquiries, because the level of past inquiries in most hotels is pretty vast. It's okay. how it's how you churn through that database to prioritise where you go. Yeah, yeah. Um, and does your role also entail sort of monitoring competitors? And if so, how does that work? I think from from the from the leisure customer perspective or from the retail customer perspective, it's really really easy. You can just go on to. Uh, bookings.com you can go into the hotel websites direct there are tools that you can you can buy that measure um uh, customer uh, sorry competitor rates so that's really quite easy um i think certainly from a product perspective when you look at competitors it's it's quite easy to ascertain what's on trend particularly in the wedding market or in the event markets whether it's sweet savory healthy options the food the experience team build those sorts of things are, are quite easy um, with regards to pricing, it's slightly more challenging in the event market because you have to submit your details to a competitor with your personal private details. And uh, it's quite a lengthy process, but uh, you can probably, you can gain the product information. At the end of the day, if you've got the product information, you do have to cost it yourself because you've got to be very mindful of, of hitting your profit targets. So can I add in, sorry, just quite an interesting part of this conversation, but you know, the, the role of a sales director is, is a very different role now. 
I think it's very much a case of just looking at distribution across all channels because it's not just a case of, of you know, just here's your corporate customers, go after them because you've got to make sure that you've got a um, very targeted approach to all market segments. So I think it's the, the approach now of a, of a traditional sales director from five years ago is very, very different because you have to understand revenue, you have to understand marketing, social media. So you're becoming a lot more of a commercial director stroke person, if you like. Mm. Um and that's quite a recent change, did you say, sort of in the last? Uh, it's few it's years? been. I think it's been coming. I think again. I think if you're a, a central, a, a key city location, you would have been in that market, doing that for many many years. But mm. I think certainly in the country house market, it's it's certainly different now. Yeah, yeah. Um, More emphasis. Sorry, equal emphasis on on revenue and proactive sales as much as reactive sales. Mm. And do you see that? How do you see that evolving uh, in the coming few years? Or, or? Um, I, I think the characters and the, the the people that you recruit will still be the same bodies, effectively. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's just how how people will be nurtured, trained, and inducted into into the modern world. It's, of course, it's going to it is going to change. Um, it will always change as as you know we, as it's changed in the last couple of years with regards to uh, interaction with people has changed. So mm-hmm. those things will evolve. But you know the. They, you know, if you think of Zoom and Teams, etc., was sort of not even heard of three years ago. So that has changed. And in three years' time, there will be something else that becomes a, a different tool that we'll just have to adapt to. Yeah, yeah. Um, and in terms of you know, adapting, could you tell us a little bit more about the differences between, I know we've mentioned sort of, you know, city hotels and sure. your country retreats. How, how would you define um, those differences when it comes to... I, th- I think it in it's basically the channels of distribution. You know, if you look at the the percentage of business that will come to, you know, someone like Stableford or the country house market, the level of business that comes through the online travel agents is significantly lower than if you were in a city centre. Um, so obviously, you've got the big corporate accounts also in a in a large city. So the large city ha- large cities have corporate accounts. They have the opportunities with o- online travel agents, and then there's also the the tour operator market, which will bring in the individuals. Whereas in the country house market, it's more about events and individual leisure. So you have to adapt your approach or your your messaging. Mm. And I think that's where someone like Stepford really comes in because it is a historic country house. So it's how we engage with with our customers to, to create that that wow experience, and I think certain certainly with the uh, the economy as it is at the moment, um, and with with the global crisis that's going on, I think there will be an increase in the domestic market travel because people won't travel as much potentially this year, but mm. also I think they'll have less trips and hopefully we'll be looking for more of a wow experience, which is where somewhere like Stapleford will really come into its own. Yeah, yeah. Um, do you- do you tend to find you have quite a range of customers or is there sort of a specific... Um... To- total, um, I can't actually completely answer that question yet because we haven't <laughs> completed our customer or my customer profiling that we're doing, but it's, it's a really wide wide section and it varies very much midweek to weekend as well. At the moment, obviously, this time of year, it's quite quiet. Mm. So, you know, the the, mid, the, the midweek market is, is definitely an older demographic, but even that can change. You know, I was in the hotel yesterday and there's a, a young couple with a small baby sitting next to a couple in their mid-60s. So it is a very, very wide cross-section of people. Uh, and particularly on the event side, it flicks from the wedding market at the weekend. But then there's some um, some strong corporate conferences that have also been happening during January as kickoff meetings for the year. Mm. Um, 
Is there a particular sort of event that you find is uh, most popular? Weddings, for example, or or is it <laughs> a mixed bag again in that it's, case? It's about profit at the end of the day (laughs) so it's economies of scale you know the economies of scale if you can get you know a wedding of call it 75 people paying um in excess of 150 quid plus um accommodation um then of course it's going to be a lot more profitable um uh i would also say that the, the conference market is probably a wider reach of competitiveness as well because if somebody wants to go to have a host an event in the Midlands is a big cross section of hotels from east to west Midlands. Um, so you've got to really be able to create a difference or you have a unique offering, which hopefully with 550 acres, we've got some there, something mm-hmm. in there for everybody. Um, but in the wedding market, people were probably a little bit more um, small, smaller location of where they're actually looking for. I want to be in Leicestershire, I want to be in Kent, I want to be in Hampshire or wherever it may be. So I think your your opportunity to convert and the wedding market is still, is still pretty strong. Mm, mm. Um, and yeah, I suppose looking ahead again at events, how do you see those different markets evolving uh, in the year ahead? I, th- I think I think my having worked at handpicked for for um, fifty three thousand years, um, we did a lot of weddings. We we had um, about peak peaked at probably fourteen hundred weddings a year. Um, so it's a it's a big number, um, and obviously. And now moving into Stapleford, where we've also obviously specialised in the wedding market, particularly at the weekend. One mm. thing that I have noticed is that the people are reducing down the number of guests on a wedding. So the weddings have become smaller. Okay. Um, I'm not saying the spend has dropped. So people are, are probably celebrating harder, um, mm. but with with a, with a smaller group of people and creating a, a, probably a greater experience for that smaller group of people. So that's the one trend, certainly on the wedding market. And that's what we're definitely seeing. But there's still some really big weddings out there. Out <laughs> yeah. there. We're working on a lovely inquiry at the moment um, as a winter wedding for New Year's Eve. And the spend's incredible, you know. So people do have, if they're going to spend that money, um, they're going to they're gonna definitely go for it. I think on the meetings and the incentive market, which is the key market for us driving our midweek occupancy, then I think with the, the this current um, crisis, global crisis, tends mm. to, and I might be proved wrong here, but will potentially increase the number of meetings that are held domestically as opposed to people going overseas, potentially. Mm-hmm. That's what's happened historically. Whether we're at that point in the global crisis yet, I am, I'm not a, an analyst to predict that, but that would be my, my gut feel is that companies, corporate cars, companies will try to keep uh, meetings, events, conferences in the UK if there are UK to UK people, uh, a company, sorry. So really restrict the amount of travel. That's what's historically happened. As I say, whether it happens again this time, uh, I don't know. So we'll have to wait and see on that one. Mm. Prior to the crisis, did you find that lots of con- conferences were held internationally instead um, of UK hotels? I think you, you have kind of, it's been, you have to mop it back. And, and I hate having to keep quoting COVID, but it's still still like a uh, some th- somewhere in the horizon hovering <laughs> over us, isn't it? But, yeah. uh, you know, if you look look back to 2018 and 19, they were record years in the, in the, the hotel industry, both from a, leisure perspective, corporate travel, meetings and events. So I think that trend stopped. Uh, and certainly from talking to industry colleagues that, you know, the, certainly the meeting conference market over the last 12 months or so has been really good. So I think it has bounced back. And I would hope that uh, the crisis will potentially increase that that level of domestic meetings. Mm. Um, and sorry, just to add mm. one thing in, there is still 
a plethora of people working from home. So I think meetings and events is so, so important. Um, and that's where somewhere like Stapford works really well because in the heart of the Midlands, you've got people all over the country. So, you know, the Midlands uh, level of business can only increase. Yeah. It has to. It yeah. has to. Now, I suppose it's a really good location for sort of bringing yeah. people around the UK together. Um, and I think we, we touched on this before, but do you also foresee that... Uh, sort of leisure travel will um, see a sort of sustained demand for staycations and, and people staying closer to home in 2024? Or how do you see that? I, I That's a, a very, very good question, a, a difficult one to predict. If I could answer all these questions accurately, I wouldn't be sitting <laughs> here. I can assure you I'd be on the beach somewhere. But, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but I think g- genuinely, if you look at the level of the staycation traffic increased at, at um I would have been working for a hotel in Cornwall and you can absolutely see the spike of the staycation as we came out of COVID. You can then see a level of levelling off. Um, and I think as we're in this year, I think people will potentially travel less overseas because of the global crisis, but also um, the cost of living. So I'm not sure people will be um, spending as much going on overseas holiday, perhaps having fewer trips, but when they go, they want to have a wow experience. And that's where I believe the country house luxury market and location again of Stapleford will, will be really strong. So I would I would expect it to be a strong um, domestic travel again this year. Um, international travel question mark I don't know mm. the answer to that. I don't think anybody knows the answer to that. Um, the, again, the city centre hotels would have an expectation of pickup. Um, business on the books, I'm sure, will be strong, but it will be a question of how it washes out as as we go go forward. And historically, a US election year is not a great year. Yeah. because the Americans don't tend to travel. Mm-hmm. Interesting, interesting. I, did, I didn't know that. Um, and I guess, aside from future gazing, um, <laughs> is there yeah. anything you can tell us uh, in terms of plans for Stableford uh, Park in the coming year? Anything on the horizon? Um, I think, uh, yeah, we've got, we've got very much a year of two halves, if you like. So the, the event market is strong. The wedding markets are strong. Leisure in January has been really good. Um, you've got to be very sharp on your pricing, but also creating experience. Um, so we've been doing a lot of work with our our, our wellbeing centre. Um, so obviously that's a hot topic for everything at the moment. So, and then that's kind of like the the, the, the year of, of building the business. So we're in a, in a journey with our, our owners that we've got sort of like two strategies. There's a short to medium, which is the work I'm doing on, on the events, the weddings, the pricing, the promotion, um, to really maximise our, our, our sales there. But folded into that is the work that the owners are looking at with regards to the medium to long term with creating a well-being experience for our customers because we've got 500 acres of, of land. Mm. So it's how we use it. We've got, a, as a small example, we have a, a, a lake. So there'll be some wild water swimming created um, for November. I'm joking, not necessarily <laughs> for November, but going forward, Gosh. it will be that type of returning to nature mm. and nature recovery. So the nature recovery is very much a case of we've got the 500 acres of, and it's how we really engage with that from a, from a nature perspective. Um, and then that's also, though, about the personal side. So get our staff to return to, to, to nature and how they feel and how they observe and how they interact with their customers. It's all about the guest experience at the mm. end of the day. But there are kind of like the four pillars, which is the nature recovery, and there's the connection, there's community, and then there's the crafting. Mm. So it's how we just literally work all those areas of the four pillars to create a much better guest engagement, staff feeling, staff welfare, and ultimately that will improve a, a guest experience. Yeah, yeah. We um, 
We actually had a guest on recently uh, who's head of well-being. Um, at a I listened to the podcast oh. coming in, actually. <laughs> oh, brilliant. Um, <laughs> so I was just sharpening up on some of my skills there. <laughs> but uh, it was very but, interesting, very interesting listening, because obviously we're to, everything's talking about well-being at the moment. Yeah, and yeah. his was the, 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 the differential between well-being and wellness, which I, I found quite interesting. Uh-huh. Um, but yeah, it seems like a, a really interesting area for, for hoteliers to look at. I think well. when you've got 500 acres to play with, mm. you've got a really broad script or a broad canvas on how you can create a whole plethora of experiences. And that's really where the owners are looking at at the moment. But it's all about about the inner self as well and how, how we, we work with our, with our guests, but how we work with our staff, because it's their interaction is the most fundamental and most important part of everything that we do in hospitality. Mm. Mm. Um, and just finally, do you have any sort of parting advice to, to people who are in the sales side of the industry and, and what makes um, for a good sales director? Um, I think perseverance, tenacity, um, sport loving if you can. I think that creates a nice, I was listening again to the podcast last week and there's quite a common theme about people in our industry as, as sports loving people yeah, so we yeah. like the competitiveness we like the chase um enthusiasm drive determination you know i know they're just sort of like bland words but they're all all things from the heart and your character um and that's where i, I believe the connection with with sport is because you you like to win um, mm. but like to win in the right way and i think that's really what i see about hospitality it's winning in the right way and interacting with people being part of a team um and that's really the way that I, I see the, the, my advice to anybody. But have fun as well. I think it's, mm. it needs to be fun because I think ultimately um, it's a difficult industry to keep people in and to attract them. So culturally, you, you have to create an environment that's, that's um, fun. Yes. Um, and that leads us nicely on to our final question, uh, which was actually left by our previous guests um, from ACOR. And that is... In what out-of-the-box ways can the industry recruit talent and maintain and keep talent in the industry? I've been thinking about that question for about 24 hours now, actually. <laughs> so um, I, I, I'm going to give a bit of a slight example. Actually, uh, my, my wife is a, a, tra a trained counsellor and somebody she studied with is actually looking at life coaching. So um, they said, would I mind just giving six uh, at six separate hours of, of work to, to, to basically for me to discuss life coaching for myself. And so mm. the ultimate was, what do you want to do? I just, I just want to have a bit of fun. I, th I think, you know, life has been very challenging for people, both with COVID and everything else. So I think it's about having fun. And I think we just got to adopt that into the work environment. So I do genuinely passionately believe it's about creating the right culture. Mm. And I think if we get the right culture, reward and recognition has to come into it. And I think when, with regards to attracting um, new talent, then we just have to work harder, smarter um, with the colleges, with the schools, um, so that they perceive that the industry is fun. You know, and it's not just a case of come in and do your 16-hour shift, not that you're allowed to with the European Directive now, but, mm. you know, or a double shift or all of those things, but also how we work with the international um, markets because we still have a, a huge gap in the in the. the the, the um, number of staff we have across the country. There's still thousands of vacancies, particularly from a food and beverage pe uh, perspective. Mm. Um, thank you very much, uh, Martin. So just to finish off, do you have a question for our next guest? And it can be anything. I have 
two questions, but and I'll let them decide which one they want to go for. <laughs> one, they might make a bit more money if they were to put a bet on it. But one is the first one is um, who's going to be the the next manager of Liverpool. Um, I said I like sport. I love football. I don't support Liverpool, but I, I live with a family of Liverpool supporters. Right. So that's my, my first question. Um, and then my second question, or probably the real question, is how do, how do we embrace social media? We use social media as a form of communicating with our customers. But actually, what's the next step? What's the next stages? Um, for example, we, we talk to our customers, we communicate them, we get them to book. But actually, what's, what's the next stage from a, a virtual check-in to how they order uh, food and beverage? Or how do we engage with, with um, guests once they're on property through social media at their choice of whatever um, social media platform they want to use? Brilliant. That's a great question. Um, thank you very much, Martin. Thank, thank you, you for joining us. Enjoyed it. Thank you very much. Thanks for listening to Checking In, a weekly podcast from Hotel Owner, the UK's trusted source of hotel industry news and analysis. If you like the podcast, make sure to subscribe on whichever podcast platform you listen to. To get more industry insight, head to hotelowner.co.uk and subscribe for unlimited access. If you're interested in sponsoring episodes of the podcast, drop us a line at podcast at hotelowner.co.uk.